This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, it's one of those times in which you really don't need to know what my lead story is going to be. It's a lead story at your kitchen table last night, maybe on the subway on the way home, your train, your plane, uh, your airport. It is about the indictment for the first time in American history of a president, a criminal indictment. And we never thought it was going to happen. Why? Because they told us it wasn't going to happen. They said the grand jury will no, no longer meet this week. They're going to be off for a few weeks. And what I postulated, what I thought was, is they talked and they said, we don't want you to be first, Alvin, Alvin Bragg. Uh, your case is the weakest. George is ready to go. That was my speculation because George has been ready to go for weeks. But, man, around 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it turns out three prosecutors walked into the grand jury room with the penal code. They went over things. And next thing you know, minutes before everybody was set to go home, the indictment filed. Around 520, we get word. And nothing's been the same since, especially with Jonathan Turley, who I've been harassing when he wasn't on television, and he's kind enough to text me back. Jonathan Turley, welcome. Thanks. Jonathan, first off, your your reaction since you left air last night, um, and my main question is, if it's just about Stormy Daniels, I know what we're debating, but we don't know what we don't know, correct? Right. We have to wait to see what the indictment actually charges. Uh, with the report of 34 counts, uh, that can be explained in a couple of ways. It can be count stacking, which is a favorite of prosecutors. They cut up what is basically one criminal uh, act, and they cut it up by by little insular acts or decisions. In this case, it would be payments given to Cohen or other people, and you charge every single one as a separate offense. It's also possible that they're mixing in different allegations, payments to other people, or even you know bank and tax fraud issues. All of those possible charges run into the same problem. I, I, most of those statute limitations has run, so they may be using different fact patterns, but the same bootstrap. Theory, which is so controversial. You know, How would you describe? We keep hearing to, that term, uh, uh, Jonathan. Uh, what does that mean? Well, what they're doing here is that Bragg is out of time. He can't bring the New York misdemeanor uh, because it has only a two-year statute of limitation. So the way to get around that is he can kick it up to a felony by arguing that the misdemeanor was committed to hide a felony offense. But in this case, uh, they've been looking at a federal offense that the Department of Justice declined to prosecute. That on its face is really problematic. Most of us do not believe that he can do that. Uh, But he has to do it because he has to find a way to bring this 
case back to life. It's been dead for two years. And so it's sort of a Frankensteinian moment. You know, he's, he's trying to zap this thing. And the question is whether courts will allow it. So it clear, one thing people agree on is that Michael Cohen will be the center of this case. There might be others. Some have speculated that they're also going to bring in the Karen McDougal case. But that's why they brought in David Pecker, because he did the capture and kill. Here's a hundred. Here's whatever dollar figure. I don't know what it is. Uh, to come tell your story. And then he decided as editor of Inquirer, I won't you I won't sell you. I won't print your story. That's his option. So they think the McDougal case could be part with Stormy Daniels case. And two people familiar with it say this could be up to 24 counts. We heard CNN say 34 counts, one for falsifying his business records, which I thought was part of the civil case. And people, smart people like you say, you never do a civil case before a criminal case. Why They did the civil case. He had to pay a million dollar plus fine, which is no big deal for him. So could you bring up business records in this case? Well, you can. The problem is that he doesn't have, in my view, a viable theory. Even if you look at the McDougal issue, that's occurring around the same period of time. So you're running into the same problem. You know, the the problem is you're not working with good material. So you can buy, you can build a hundred, you know, houses out of straw, but they're all going to get blown down. Uh, Having a hundred of them doesn't make them any stronger than the first one. So, you know, the question is, how does he get around the fact that all of these occurred so many years ago and his office declined to prosecute them? His predecessor, Vance, did not uh, move on this theory because it's pathetic. I mean, this theory is absolutely ridiculous in my view. And it is it's overtly political. And the reason we can say that without even seeing the indictment is we know how the indictment came about. You know, it, it was not only declined the, – the federal crime was not only declined by the Justice Department, but his predecessor declined the state uh, prosecution. And then, and then he himself, Bragg, threw the flag on this case. It was only after his two top prosecutors resigned and did something I think is just unbelievably unprofessional and went on a public campaign to indict Donald Trump that Bragg finally caved. And wrote a book. So let me ask you the importance of this. This Supreme Court judge, Juan Merchant, uh, Juan Merchant presided over the grand jury. Juan Merchant uh, was a judge in the New York State Supreme Court uh, called the justice, was the judge overseeing the Alan Weisberg case, the CFO of Trump Organization who ends up in Rikers. He's also the judge handling the Steve Bannon, we will build the wall story, which got him in so much trouble and he ended up getting pardoned from. Why is this judge everywhere, and why is he still on this case? Will he see it through when it goes to trial? Yeah, I'm surprised by that, too. But he was the presiding officer connected with the grand jury, the presiding judge. So uh, it's going to go to him. I'm a little surprised that in most jurisdictions you would not have this happen. It, it, uh, you have random selection of judges. And uh, this guy is becoming the sort of, Kevin Bacon of Trump cases, and uh, it's it's a little bit uh, concerning to have one judge who's controlling so many highly political cases. So Lanny Davis, who's Michael Cohen's agent, I was watching some of the analysis on other channels, and they were saying 
if I wanted to prosecute Donald Trump, the last thing I want to see is Michael Cohen on other channels speaking along with his attorney. He could only get himself, uh, he could only jeopardize the case and help himself perhaps get more famous, but he can't help the case. Here's what Lanny Davis said. Tell me if this helps in his accurate cut eight. And I would also warn all the pundits and everyone speculating, including those who are on your panel, that there are lots of facts, lots of documents, lots of evidence of multiple crimes. And before anyone guesses the strength or the weakness of this case, mm-hmm. wait to see and read the indictment. I'm just predicting there will be a lot of people surprised at the level of evidence, at the detail of evidence, based on my experience in watching this group of prosecutors develop this case. Okay, we don't know what we don't know, but what do you think he's getting at? Well, I, I, I really have no idea because obviously the indictment is going to have a lot of details that we're not discussing. The problem is the underlying yeah. theory. And so, you know, the, what, what, what he isn't saying is that they have a lot of other crimes that are being alleged as opposed to the same crime as being alleged in different ways with different evidence. The problem with his client is that every time he goes on the air, he undermines his position as a witness. And that occurred in the last couple of weeks. I mean, first of all, he said that he had never signed a waiver uh, of attorney-client privilege uh, and that this guy, Costello, who testified the grand jury was never his lawyer. Then Costello showed up waving an actual signed waiver. And so the question is, if you don't remember something that significant, how can we really rely on you remembering these other things? And then Cohen went on and actually said, I really wasn't guilty when I pled guilty in New York. Well, that's a problem because the whole premise and the whole narrative being put out there is that, well, if Michael Cohen was punished for these crimes, so should Trump. But Michael Cohen's saying, I should never have gone to jail. I just, I just copped a plea uh, to protect my family. Right. He also had a little problem with medallions and taxi cabs. And when he realized the medallions he bought were all worthless because of Uber. And that ended up somehow uh, getting him into a lot of uh, other trouble. Uh, Lastly, on Tuesday, what do you expect, knowing the players in New York, knowing how political this environment is, what do you expect to have happened in terms of the fingerprints, the mugshot, the handcuffs? What do you think? How, how do you think this is going to get done? My assumption is they won't handcuff them. I think that the Secret Service will be quite vociferous about that. They have to be able to move the former president uh, in a second's notice, and having him restrained in any way uh, interferes with their protective function. Uh, for the same reason, I expect they'll expedite it. This can usually take up to about six or seven hours uh, for the former Trump CFO. I think he was in the process for about six or seven hours. Uh, It's very common that it's at least three hours. I expect they'll expedite that. When you go in, when you get booked, you're going to be photographed, you're going to be fingerprinted. You're also supposed to go through a period of answering basic questions uh, that are inputted into the court record. (laughs) Really basic stuff like your name, your address, are you an American citizen, those types of things that obviously are already known. But they will go through some of those questions, input them into the uh, system. They could easily expedite this thing. 
uh, and be out by two hours. The question is whether they will, uh, but it can go as long as six to seven hours. Yeah, and by the way, with crime up throughout the city, misdemeanors 20%, burglary 22%, felonies 14%, grand larceny 32%, crimes running rampant in the city. And they decide, let's get that case from 17 years ago that was addressed seven years ago, and let's make that front and center. And it just— Oh, no. Actually, Trump would be—now, if Trump, on his way to the booking, actually carjacked someone, then he would get out much faster. And he might do that. Maybe I'll recommend that to him. That'll be my legal (laughs) advice. Jonathan Turley, you're you're the best. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. See you. All right. 1-866-408-7669. I know you have a lot of questions. Get on board. First come, first serve. Uh, and then in a half hour from now, well, we're going to be joined by Kirk Cameron, actor, writer, producer. Uh, he's got a brand new, uh, a brand new uh, a book out called As You Grow. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Personally, I don't want to see him paraded that way. Remember, because he's a former president of the United States, because I actually care more about the office of the presidency of the United States than he does. I don't want to see this made into the laughingstock of the world. He's still a former president. I mean, these aren't the things that, these are the things that you see from other countries, like Venezuela, right? I mean, you don't expect to see the former, this is a first time ever in the history of this country that a president, former president, has been indicted. This is unprecedented. And the more that we keep this, we'll call it classy, the better it is for our position in the world. What an ass. Are you kidding me? Michael Cohen testifies 20 times in front of the grand jury and says he doesn't want to see him paraded in front of the world when he already did his time. This is all revenge and vengeance. And he's told now's the time to show you're magnanimous and just doing the thing that you're supposed to be doing because you're a reform man. Please don't buy it. The guy is still lying. You saw what Costello said. Costello said uh, that he was his attorney. And he said he gave him some advice and then he's not no longer his attorney. He said, I'd like to speak about it. He released him from the attorney-client privilege, and then Michael Cohen goes, he was never my attorney. And then he goes, oh, Costello goes in front of the grand jury and says, look at this paper. He, I was his attorney. Why did he release me from the attorney-client privilege? Listen to more from Cohen's Cut 6. As we all know, Donald is not a person who likes to accept accountability. It has to be on somebody else, always. Unfortunately, he's the one that's going on Tuesday 
right, in order to get fingerprinted and mugshotted. Right. Um, and what Michael Cohen did kind of indicates, gave a window on the case. And I was watching, I think it was CNN, and they were saying that, well, Michael Cohen asked, uh, showed us a little leg because of the nature of the questions the grand jury was asking. Uh, the CNN suddenly got insight to the indictment, which, as Jonathan Turley just told you, and other people on friendly channels to the to Alvin Bragg have revealed the worst thing for your key witness to do is to start talking about the case on international television. But he's doing it anyway because he wants to be famous and he wants to matter and he wants to go hang out with, uh, I don't know, Tom Arnold. I think that's his guy. But there's a race. There's a race because of the statute of limitations to this whole thing. Well, I mean, does it still – I mean, there, there's a right to dismiss. I read John Bonsoff today from the George Washington University. He did a column, and he's not a friend of the president, former president. He did a column today. He goes, there's a huge push to dismiss this case. And one of the things they're going to say is duration. I mean, this thing might have timed out. Ty Cobb, the president's former attorney, said this about that. Cut 10. Alvin Bragg has an extraordinary raging statute of limitations problem. Uh, speed, speed was required. I mean, if, if, if they were, if they were misdemeanors, they, they died years ago, uh, under the New York statutes, you know, uh, they're going to, there's going to have to be some pretty significant legal arguments by the prosecutor as to why even a felony is still alive at this stage of the game. Right. And these are the legal experts. I, you know, don't, you know, this is what they do every single day. Cut 11. I don't really actually see any indication that uh, and I haven't heard of any evidence that would suggest that, you know, Bragg is doing this to interfere with uh, with the election. I mean, if he was going to bring this case, he had to bring it. He had to bring it soon. Um, but I do think that, you know, we're going to see Trump just continue to bash the press and uh, and the process and the prosecutors. And why wouldn't he? I mean, he could either keep his mouth shut and just not run or he's going to sit there. My hunch is going to get that mugshot, and that mugshot is going to hang at his next rally. And I think it'll be everywhere. I think he'll embrace it and say, this is what's going on. And I'm going to add to this. Do you know Matt Taibbi has been on here before, He got exposed to the Twitter files, and he's reporting what he thinks is the story of a lifetime. And not many people are covering it, but it just shows uh, the collusion that exists between uh, Big Pharma between this administration and anyone who didn't want to get vaccinated or question anything Anthony Fauci said about where this whole the origins of the virus. And he's revealing all this at a regular basis. The IRS is knocking at his door while he is testifying to tell his story. And then I see today that Elon Musk is being investigated by the FTC. Why? Because he's called out this administration. He's called out this president. He's revealed all the intelligence that was involved with Adam Schiff and Angus King and all the uh, all the inner workings of how the left was trying to destroy Donald Trump or any detractors that had anything to say about the vaccine, about the virus, about the procedures, about the mandates. So now... Elon Musk, one of the, uh, America's MVPs, who's got us into space. It's got a tunnel. It's got to put chips in your head, tunnels for your cars, as well as now Twitter. Now, all of a sudden, he's going to get the scrutiny. You just watch. Soon he's going to start losing that government grants. That is, unless a Republican wins. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Putin is trying to silence reporting in Russia. Uh, he's also trying to have bargaining chips against the United States. Uh, there's two other Americans. Paul Whelan has been held for more than four years on false espionage charges. Mark Fogel is an American school teacher. He had a small amount of medical marijuana. He was sentenced to 16 years in prison. He's been held for over a year. So, you know, Evan is now a, a bargaining chip. I, I think he feels he's worried. He faces a very, very long sentence. But in my time, I always felt terrible for my family. Um, and, and his family now is in this excruciating position where they're trying to pressure President Biden to help get Evan out. They really don't have that power, though. So it's it's just a sad situation. And it's sad for Russians. It's so sad what Vladimir Putin has done to Russia and that he's acting in such an autocratic way to silence any free reporting in Russia. So uh, that's a guy that was held against his will. Um that is uh, David Rode uh, with the New York Times. He's now he's an executive editor of the New Yorker. I think he was with the New York Times at the time. Um, I'm not really sure. But now he was talking about the Wall Street Journal reporter. He's 31 years old. He's Evan Gersovich. And because he wrote this story that was comprehensive about the crashing, uh, the plummeting of the Russian economy, he was taken from dinner and charged with spying. Now, this is horrible. It's an insult to him. It's an insult to the Wall Street Journal. It's an insult to this nation and to the Biden administration who show nothing but weakness. They only want to give the Ukrainians enough weapons to survive, not to thrive. They've said, you got three days you're going to lose. Do you want to ride? He's like, no, we need some guns. Said, well, I'll finally pledge you some tanks in the fall, even though the summer surge, excuse me, the spring surge is about to happen now. And then we have a chair and joint chiefs of staff say we have no idea if the weapons are actually getting to the people because we don't have people on the ground in the Ukraine. So we're counting the Ukrainians, to be honest. And that, of course, the uh, what happened two weeks ago or last week when our drone was knocked out of the sky by the Russians in international waters, knocked in international seas. So then they go and take our reporter. What what ramifications is it? They've already got Victor Boot, this arms dealer, world-renowned for a basketball player in Brittany Griner. We leave Paul Whale and a Marine there. He's still there in doing forced labor in a penal colony in Russia, falsely, falsely charged with spying, espionage. So the, the Wall Street Journal is saying this in their editorial today. Thuggish leaders keep doing thuggish things if they think they will pay no price. The Biden administration will have to consider diplomatic and political escalation. Expelling Russian ambassadors to the U.S., as well as all Russian journalists working here, would be the minimum to expect. The U.S. government's first duty is to protect its citizens, and too many governments now believe they can arrest and imprison Americans with impunity. Absolutely, 100% right. Here's Michael Waltz on what happened yesterday. Cut 25. What we shouldn't have done is... Uh, is reward Russia for when they took a celebrity basketball player to then give them in exchange an international arms dealer known for arming cartels, criminal groups, and terrorists uh, all over all over the world. So when Russia sees nothing but upside, uh, whenever they get a win, that means they just move on to the next American. And by the way, we can't forget poor Paul Whelan, who was left behind in the Griner deal uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, as long as these groups, whether they're the terrorist groups or the Iranians or the Russians, see nothing but upside and no consequences for uh, illegally detaining Americans, then they're going to keep doing it. Terrible. 
And it is. And what I was talking about last week on One Nation, you can watch One Nation again this week, is just the weakness we're showing everywhere. And when a lot of times people think, well, we're being magnanimous, we're kind, we don't want to be thuggish and brutish and let everybody know that we're the number one power in the world, the bastion of freedom, the number one destination for all aspiring people. But instead, we're looked at as soft and pliable rather than this huge behemoth of a military that can or this these great special ops can just grab people out of any situation, kill any terrorist at any moment at any time, or just wipe a nation off the face of the earth with one aircraft carrier. We don't look like that. We look vulnerable and unwilling to execute. Adding to that, you don't think the Chinese know? We just found out for the first time in an open hearing that that Chinese spy balloon could have been knocked down in a wide. They couldn't get the green light. The Secretary of Defense didn't even comment or wasn't contacted until February 1st, and it's been in the sky since the 26th. They watched it transverse Canada come into the U.S. and did nothing. It wasn't a plan to watch the spy balloon. It was a lack of execution. You don't think they know that? That's why I think that Taiwan is in trouble, because they know that nobody would reelect Joe Biden, and the Democratic Party will not stand up to anybody at any point because they hate our country first or they want to blame our country first. Here's what Vice President Mike Pence said last night about what was going on uh, with this reporter, Cut 26. Whether it's uh, now the arrest uh, of, a, of an American journalist, I'm told dragged out of a restaurant, uh, in Russia, or whether it was the downing of one of our drones, I, I, it's time for the Biden administration to make it clear with Putin that we're not going to put up with his provocations. We're not, we're not going to put up with bullying reporters, which is nothing new in Russia. It goes on all the time. There have been reporters who uh, vanished, lost their lives in, in, during the Putin reign. I think this is a moment for uh, President Biden and the Biden administration to send a, a deafening message to Russia that they got about 24 hours to release that reporter. Or there's going to be real consequences in the relationship between the United States and Russia going forward. Now, Mr. Vice President, what do you think the chances of him actually doing that? Zero. This president's going to Mississippi because of the devastating natural disaster. Maybe he feels as though he could say climate change. However, what is he going to say about to the people of East Palestine? That was a disaster to derail train. And that was a poisoned an entire town, destroyed their property values, their way of life. Many still feel sick, still can't get the president to acknowledge it's a problem. But he goes right away to Mississippi because he could underline climate change. He should sat there, not on the helicopter, last night, talk about the indictment, number one, try to tell everyone he had nothing to do with it, and then talk about the Wall Street Journal reporter and how this thuggish behavior has got to stop. They, they actually gave medals, did the Russians, to the pilots that got in the way because they're terrible pilots of the drone crashing it into the ocean. They gave them medals. That is an in-your-face to us. Incredible. So I've got a lot more to talk about, uh, including the latest on China, uh, their nuclear program, their deals, their trade deals looking to circumvent us. Do you know they're looking to take over a port now in Mexico? Are we going to allow that? You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, I'll be joined by uh, Kirk Cameron. He's actor, writer, producer and author of a brand new book, As You Grow. He's holding a public library book reading, but he's going to be outside the library because they don't want to let him in. That story and more. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hey, uh, welcome back, everybody. We're following all the breaking news, of course, last night. What happened with the, with the news about the president of the United States getting indicted to by Alvin Bragg? This, uh, it seems to be a very thin case. I do worry about what's happening in Georgia. I do worry about what's happening with Mar-a-Lago in that case. I do wonder why we don't hear ever about Joe Biden's investigation to his private documents. Meanwhile, a guy that always follows the news and always makes news, Kirk Cameron, actor, writer, producer, and author of As You Grow. It's a children's book. Uh, he's holding a big reading today in New York City. So I hope everybody goes. So, Kirk, welcome. Thank you. Great to be on your show. Hey, uh, nice to be here. First off, what's the problem with you, this book, in the libraries? Yeah, good question. You, you, you know, the idea that you'd go read a book to kids about love, joy, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control being an act of bravery today right. is crazy. But that's that's what I'm doing. I've been traveling the country uh, being denied by over 50 woke libraries that are previously holding drag queen story hours, which is a Apparently appropriate, uh, but I can't go in here and read these books because it's threatening to people, makes them feel unsafe. Uh, that, that's what the leadership at some of these libraries say, but the people come out in droves. Literally thousands of parents are showing up for a book reading uh, for their kids because – they're starving for the kind of values that you and I know make this a great country. So tell me about the values that are in there. How big is the book? 25 pages? Yeah, 25 pages. It's beautifully illustrated. It's, right. uh, it's, uh, it's one of a bunch of books uh, in a series that is published by Brave Books. And it's got pro-God, pro-America values, teaches kids the dangers of cancel culture, critical race theory, communism uh, in ways that they can understand and then advances the good. Plant seeds of faith and morality, virtue. Um, it's the kind of education that you want to combat the indoctrination of this woke and broke culture. When did you realize that there was a that you were flying against you? You were swimming upstream on this. Uh, when, <clears throat> when, when story hours are going across the nation with men uh, dressed up in in, in heels, and uh, you know, we we had in. Where were we? We were in Fayetteville, and we had a, a group of drag nuns show up. Drag they looked, nuns? They looked like the monsters in drag holding signs talking about hate and all of this. And, and it really served as a stark contrast for the kids between what, what what is good and true and makes sense and what is confused and what is misguided. And parents were using that as an object lesson for their kids. We sang the national anthem together. We, we recited the Pledge of Allegiance, and, and we prayed and asked God for his blessing before we read this and other books uh, from Brave Books. So it's, 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 been, it's been great. Right. And what about your kids? What about my kids? Do they, they enjoy your series? You know what? They're older now, so they're not yeah. reading these, these little kids' books. Were you drilling stuff like this into when they were young? Yeah, we were teaching them the stuff that they need to know. Everybody understands that whoever gets to tell the kids the stories in the schools gets to really shape the future. That's why everybody wants to go after the kids. Sometimes we think, well, kids aren't going to be able to fix politics. Kids aren't going to be able to fix the, the economy. Yes, they will. They are the future politicians. They, they are the future economy. Did they go to public and school? And we've got to get them. No. No, our kids uh, went to a, a little private school that was great until we ran out of options in, in uh, middle school, and then we homeschooled our kids. So we have wow. six of them. <laughs> They're now 26 to 19 years old, and they've flown the coop. We're, we're empty nesters, and we're helping them them launch into this crazy world. So what are your thoughts about Nashville and the, the Christian school that was targeted oh. uh, by this transgender, Audrey, whatever, in the middle of a transition, the parents – pro-Christian did not acknowledge the change in gender that this kid wanted to go through. We can't get to the manifesto, 
But I always thought about a guy like you when you find out a Christian school looks beautiful, by the way, mm. was targeted because there was because they felt as though they could penetrate. And this is where this kid went. Yeah. Absolute tragedy. And it, it's no surprise that uh, there are those in the media and, and, and politics that want to sort of distract us with this other thing. That's really the problem is that uh, people guns. are passing laws and guns and, and, and laws that ban men dancing in front of children uh, in dresses. Uh, but the, the, the truth is we have not just an identity problem uh, in the country. Uh, we've got us. The country is sick at its soul level. Uh, you know that. And what we need is a transformation of the entire culture. And it's got to start with our kids, with their hearts and minds in the schools. And so um, I travel the country to speak at schools, to speak at libraries and to tell people we got to get back to the things that made this country so great. And uh, George Washington said it's it's true faith, loving God, loving your neighbor, real virtue and morality. These are the indispensable supports for a re- free republic like ours. If we can't govern ourselves, uh, no politician, no government at the federal level is going to fix it for us. Uh, Kirk Cameron here. So, Kirk, you say as you grow, it's part of a series. How many yeah. will, how many are you going for? Well, it's not just me. There's lots of other authors, including um, Fox News authors like Julie Banderas and others who's going to be joining me today at Bryant Park at noon. And uh, there are dozens of books that all take place on this this place called Freedom Island, which actually represents the United States of America. We're an island of freedom in a woke and broke world. And all of these books teach kids the dangers of critical race theory, communism, cancel culture, and reinforce the values of love, kindness, courage, uh, patience, leadership. And uh, people can get these books if you go to bravebooks.com. Great to join the Book of the Month Club, which will send one of these books to your front door every month. So you're mm-hmm. investing in the future of your kids, but also the security of the country. Have you ever, have you always been this grounded, almost old for your age, your maturity beyond your years? Did you always have that quality? You, you know, that's nice of you to say, but I'm also an actor. I could be faking all this stuff. I doubt you know, it. I yeah. could be just so <laughs> off my rocker and, and, and a loose cannon. And I come from California, the land of loose nuts and bolts. So. True. Uh, No, when I was about 18 years old, um, I I had a a bit of a transformation myself. Uh, Today I say I'm a recovering atheist. Uh, I I used to uh, protest all the stuff that I'm talking about now and think that it was ridiculous. Now I realize that's the stuff that can actually heal us from the inside out. What happened? Oh, somebody took me to church. It was a it was a cute girl. I wasn't interested in God or religion. I was interested in this girl taking her out on a date. But the message uh, captured me. And I got my questions answered, and I said, God, show me the way. And uh, I, I, he's been leading me ever since. How come it doesn't bother you when you – it seems when you hit these headwinds, it doesn't seem to bother you. It seems to fuel you. Is that part of the acting or – No, it's not part of the acting. Um, it's because I know the author of history. If, if history is his story, I also know – He's the best storyteller. And right now we're in the middle of the book. We're just in a middle in a middle chapter where the bad guys uh, are, are, are rallying and they're fighting against freedom. But the author knows that the good guys rise back up. This isn't the end of the story. And history tells us that revival of faith and morality comes during times of moral decline, spiritual apathy and 
um, economic collapse. So I think this this cultural setback is really a divine setup for a national comeback led by the family of faith. That's why I'm out there doing this book tour. Right. And the places you got to go is the places you're in right now. Yeah, that's because the best place like to go. 40, I mean, New York City, Los Angeles, where DC. you live. That's right. DC. And these are the people who show up in droves with the most passion because they feel overlooked. They're like people without air. They want hope and encouragement like, uh, like, a, like a suffocating person uh, needing oxygen. And not only that, they want to be part of the solution. They don't want to hear more evidence that we're in trouble. We know that. So many great articulators of the problem, they want more than reporters. They want reformers, and they want to know what they can do. That's why they're showing up, and they're even hosting their own brave story hours by getting a hold of, 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 of a book. could be any book. There's even pastor, minister story hours that are cropping up now. People are forming this army of compassion, and they're, they're flooding the public square. So I do have to question your judgment. Okay. Hanging out with Julie Bandera. She's a handful. You know, she's we don't very like- loud. She's very opinionated. <laughs> so are you ready for this? Yeah, we're ready for it. Surprisingly, and I came today, to New York City. Brian Park. And, and for seven weeks, we tried to get into a public library, and they ghosted us. They didn't want to answer emails. Um, <clears throat> we finally were about to get into one, but then they pulled the plug at the 11th hour, so now we're calling an audible, and we'll be at Brian Park today at noon with right. Julie Banderas. With Julie Banderas. And you're going to be read, first speaking and then reading the book. Yeah, we're, we're, we're hanging out. It's going to be a great time with families. And then I'm going to read my book, As You Grow. Who do you want to be the next president? <clears throat> Brian Kilmeade. I think I'll run. <laughs> if I have no support, Kurt. Uh, Just don't get indicted. Right. Don't or do? Don't, well, I'm not I sure. Don't know. It, might, it might help you know, me. Maybe it would. Absolutely. So, okay, go out and pick up uh, Kurt's uh, book that the libraries are afraid to uh, host him in. Uh, Kurt Cameron, thanks so much. It's called As You Grow. And get it wherever you get books. Thanks. Brave Appreciate books. you, Brian. All right. You got it. Hey, listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, go to briankilmeade.com. Find out where I'll be. Also, you can always listen to that show here, briankilmeadshow.com. Also, don't forget One Nation, Saturday night at 8 o'clock. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. There you go, from 48th to 6th in Midtown Manhattan. We're heard around the country, around the world. What an important day, what an important show. Geraldo Rivera, lawyer, activist, uh, started as an activist, then became a big-time personality, Fox's mainstay, and a good friend of Donald Trump. Uh, we'll weigh in on the indictment. Ben Dominich is, is going to be here at the bottom of the hour. You know, earlier in the week, I, you know, we knew the indictments, something's going to be coming. Either way, something in Georgia, something in Mar-a-Lago, something in New York. And then they tell us on Wednesday, you know what? The grand jury will not be meeting for weeks. They're taking, they're taking some time off. They will not be in session. I thought, all right. My hunch was that they realized this is the weakest case. They don't want to go first. They saw all the blowback they got from people on their side. And they said there's not enough here to go with. And it's a weekend. What if you lose? It could destroy a career. It could embarrass an agency. So they thought they were just going to. Back off, okay? And then out of nowhere, this is the way the New York Times says it. 
Two o'clock in the afternoon, three prosecutors walked into the grand jury room with the penal code book in their hands. Two hours later, they emerged with an indictment. They announced it at two minutes before five. It becomes public at about 10 minutes after. And guess when President Trump found out? Right at five o'clock. He had no idea. Word is he was absolutely stunned. Within the indictment, that is the million-dollar question that we're going to find out on Tuesday. 34 counts according to uh, CNN. They have some uh, sources there. Uh, The New York Times says two dozen counts. What could they be? Some financial things? Could it be Karen McDougal, the, the old catch and kill? Karen McDougal, the, the, the model that the president is accused of having a long time affair with, that David Pecker paid money to, uh, to pay him off and then killed the story after they did the story. And then, believe it or not, the story goes, as Stormy Daniels said, I heard we do with Karen McDougal, I want to pay off too. And Pecker said no. Imagine if he said yes, we might not even be here right now. With me uh, to joining the show, Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, co-host of The Five. Uh, Geraldo, welcome. Thank you, Brian. I'm on the Acela, the fast train to Washington, D.C., so if I fade in and out, it's not because of uh, my reaction to your tough questions, but rather the, uh, the locomotion. <laughs> or it could be a derailment. Do you have, do you have poison <laughs> chemicals on this? <laughs> yeah, right. right. Nothing, I mean, nothing toxic. Did you nothing ever think toxic. we'd have so much trouble as a country keeping trains on the tracks? Did you see what happened yesterday? I mean, what's going on? Um, we have a major derailment every single day at some place in America. It's, really, it's, it's stunning and very depressing, as is the indictment of the president of the United States. Yes, and this is how unprecedented it is. New York Times said their research showed the prosecutors in, that have never before anywhere – filed an election law case involving a federal campaign. But the first one they file, they file is on the former president of the United States. What should I keep in mind as I speculate and we speculate what can be the indictment? Well, I think, you know, if, uh, if it's a financial fraud, if it's a thing or campaign finance violations, every single time you send them a letter or answer a, an important phone call, that could be another charge. If you use a bad credit card, every single charge is another count in the indictment. So I think that the two dozen number or the three dozen number is inflated in that sense. I do not believe that there's any more uh, big headlines. I don't think Karen McDougal, for instance, I don't think that payoff will be part of this process. You don't. Uh, I, I do not. I, I think that even though David Pecker was brought in there. I I think that Pecker is more a Karen McDougal uh, a witness. I agree, but to me, the, it, there's nothing illegal in the Karen McDougal payoff. It's, it's seedy. The guy's doing it to save his marriage. Uh, I don't I don't believe that. I mean, first of all, even as I say these things, I am uh, I I, I want to throw up in my own mouth because. I can't believe that for the first time in the history of the United States, yeah. we're indicting a former president for something that's such chump change. Now, I broke with President Trump, as you know very well, Brian, and on this program, uh, after he refused to accept the results of the election and then caused all kinds of mischief uh, all through November of 2020, December of 2020, leading up to January 6th and the attack on the United States Capitol. So I promised I would never again support Donald Trump, even though he was and I hope remains a, a friend of mine for decades, as you know. Uh, but to have him go down uh, in, in, a, in a way that is so petty, 
where they are creating an offense, where they are bending over legal gymnastics to try to take a, a weak misdemeanor case and 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 shoehorn it into being a felony uh and and to go uh, you know a case of a unique and first uh impression to go with something that is so obviously contrived and in uh, uh, just uh, I, I i i was a intern in the office and I, uh, in the new york district attorney's office so was my daughter later years later simone she was also an intern in the new york district attorney's office we know that office very well. It's an office with a storied past. I worked for Frank Hogan, the crime buster. Robert Morgenthau uh, was there. Cyrus Vance Sr., Cyrus Vance Jr. And now to have Alvin Bragg, a, a political hitman, uh, use the office, use this storied right. prosecutor's office to go after the president of the United States, uh, it's, it's like, okay, guys, what can we get him on? And it really was – have a, have a defendant first, then try to find a charge second, Brian. So a couple of things. Just so you know, there was a period in this country not too long ago where we were trying to indict everybody. Remember, three, uh, three strikes, you're out. The crime, crime, major crackdown, Bill Clinton's crime bill that uh, he, you know, basically Hillary Clinton apologized for and Joe Biden apo- apologized for. We're not in that period now. In New York City, crime has surged big time. Since Bragg took over, felony assaults up 14%, burglary up 22%, larceny up, grand larceny 26%, grand larceny of motor vehicles 32%. This guy doesn't prosecute or follow through on anything, but he's got to go catch up to a guy on a case 17 years ago that's now been brought up seven years ago, but he's got to go crack down on it. Listen to Lanny Davis. I know you know him well. He represents Michael Cohen. And by the way, all these experts like you are saying the last thing you want to do is have Lanny Davis and Michael Cohen, keys to the prosecution, out there talking about the case. But that didn't stop him. Cut eight. And I would also warn all the pundits and everyone speculating, including those who are on your panel, that there are lots of facts, lots of documents, lots of evidence of multiple crimes. And before anyone guesses the strength or the weakness of this case, Mm-hmm. Wait to see and read the indictment. I'm just predicting there will be a lot of people surprised at the level of evidence, at the detail of evidence, based on my experience in watching this group of prosecutors develop this case. So he says there's a lot there, judging by his ex- by his expertise. Your thought. But here's how you get it. Here's how you get a lot. Conspiracy. Everybody, you know, hears the word conspiracy, and right away your ears perk up. You say, oh, my God, there's something serious going on. There's a conspiracy. But this conspiracy, and and that's what I think Lanny Davis is alluding to, there's going to be conspiracy charges. The conspiracy is among the various parties to the payoff to make the payoff. So they're bootstrapping the misdemeanor uh, uh, campaign finance violation or fraudulent business records uh, violation, both misdemeanors. They're trying to bootstrap them into felonies by making them, uh, you know, election law violations. And they take now you, the conversations between Lenny, uh, not Lenny, Davis, between Michael Cohen, uh, uh, President Trump, and others, and th- those conversations then become another charge. They become a conspiracy charge. So now it's a conspiracy case. So now. Uh, you know, uh, everybody's ears are perked up. They want to see what this nefarious criminal enterprise was. And it's the same old payoff, but with a, a scarier title. Now it's a conspiracy. 
So I do not believe. I challenge Lanny Davis, and I'll be on your program again next Friday, I hope, Brian, and we'll see who's right. Is the, is the indictment that comes down really going to advance substantively what we know about what Trump did illegally? Or will it just be window dressing of the kind that I've just described with a bootstrap uh, conversations into conspiracy? I've seen it done before in other cases, not involving, obviously, a historic defendant like this one. Uh, but uh, don't think that prosecutors are all uh, sweet cream and roses. They're ambitious politicians. Alvin Bragg is an ambitious politician. The right. problem is, Brian, let me just tell you one quick thing. I was with uh, Arthur Idala and uh, I was with a Professor great lawyer. Dershowitz, a great lawyer in New York, and with Professor Dershowitz, who ironically I was on, I was with when Roe v. Wade came down. I was on your show when Dershowitz was my uh, house guest. So we, and, and, anyway, make a long story. So I'm with Dershowitz when this news breaks with Idala and Dershowitz. Idala says, and I believe him uh, to be correct, that the uh, as much as we minimize the charges. As much as we scorn what they've done vis-a-vis President Trump, there is a very good chance, once it gets to trial, that they can get a conviction because it's a Manhattan jury. They hate Trump uh, to the very fiber of their beings. And here you have a case where the prosecutor is setting them loose, giving them the evidence. And again, I say he probably did commit a campaign finance violation or uh, a business records violation. Uh, So now they can get him. Now they have Trump, the hated Trump, the enemy of the people of uh, the borough of Manhattan, uh, at their mercy. So I think that it's a very – I predict that Arthur is right, Idala is right, that they could get a conviction on these facts, as Uh, horrifying as that may sound. Yeah, I mean the most you get is four years, but the prison is not guaranteed. But nobody ever says for a New York jury uh, that there wouldn't be a possibility. Uh, But I'll tell you, I'm just going to give some additional information a Manhattan District Attorney's Office asked for President Trump to surrender on Friday. This has been confirmed by Joe Tacopina. But the lawyers for Trump rebuffed the request, saying the Secret Service, which provides security, obviously, for the president, needed more time. In exchange, this was uh, relayed to Politico by a law enforcement source. Tacopina has since confirmed it. Uh, they do not have a date for him to go ahead and turn himself in, but it's thought to be on Tuesday. So we probably would have found out what the indictment said, right? You can't arraign somebody and not tell us what the indictment is, correct? Yes. One second. So, you know. I'm... Here it is. I'm sorry, Brian. I'm on this damn train. Uh, you, you, no, you have to inform people that they, they'll, he'll have a copy of the indictment at some point. Yeah, so secret. Well, no. I mean, he's already agreed to surrender on Tuesday by all by all accounts. Can I tell you another anecdote? Yeah, I ran into Michael Cohen two days ago. I was at Polo. Uh, you know, I stayed at the Peninsula, uh, Ralph Lauren's uh, restaurant, and I'm standing there, and who comes up to me but Michael Cohen? So I said, "Oh, wow, well, you're looking uh, fit. Uh, how are you?" I said, uh, "Well, I'm a little nervous." And I, uh, you know, uh, I got a lot of things going on. I didn't press him. I, I, I look now at this opportunity lost, but only in New York, kids, as uh, Cindy Adams used to say, would I run into Michael Cohen uh, two days before he becomes the center of the most notorious uh, uh, alleged crime involving a president of the United States in history. I want, to hear, I want you to hear, in my view, one of the most insincere statements ever. Cut seven. Personally, I don't want to see him. 
paraded that way. Why Remember, not? because he's a former president of the United States, because I actually care more about the office of the presidency of the United States than he does. I don't want to see this made into the laughing stock of the world. He was still a former president. I mean, these aren't the things that these are the things that you see from other countries like Venezuela. Right. I mean, you don't expect to see the former. This is a first time ever in the history of this country that a president, former president, has been indicted. This is unprecedented. And the more that we keep this, we'll call it classy, the better it is for our position in the world. Geraldo, this guy testified 20 times. His life mission is to put Donald Trump in prison, but he doesn't want to see him in prison. Are we to believe that? Absolutely not. And again, a gag reflex when I was listening now to Michael making those protestations of, uh, of wounded patriotism. Uh, really is it really is pathetic. I, I I think that but one of the problems is I mean you know Trump's got a reputation I don't know how true it is of uh, you know really cutting loose people who get in a jam uh, if it could save his own uh, his own tail. So I, I think that uh, and there's nothing more dangerous than uh, when your own lawyer turns against you. There's a good reason that there's a lawyer-client privilege. But when your lawyer turns against you or your accountant turns against you. Uh, you know, uh, and in this case, remember, the accountant has also uh, been convicted. Uh, yeah. Wesselberg. Uh So he, I think that Trump's biggest danger and his biggest vulnerability is the people who once uh, he once trusted and uh, who were intimates. Uh, I, I, I think that the, one of the things, just briefly, and one last point, that uh, one of the reasons I was convinced of the absolute pathetic weakness of the case was the fact that they did interview Michael Cohen 22 times and never came up with a prosecutable offense. Yeah. Uh, so now, uh, for some reason, and I think it's because of cheerleading and, uh, and uh, you know, uh, pressure from the district attorney, I, I, blame, I blame Bragg and his political associates. I think that this was a New York City uh, Democratic organization scheme uh, to take down uh, to take down Trump and this and, it's, and you know when when history is made in the United States we some of it's uh, positive and some of it's negative but I hate reading over and over again how this is the first time that a former president of the United States has been indicted because it sounds so banana republic. Rado, a lot to discuss. I look forward to your analysis. Have a great weekend. All right, buddy. Thank you. All right. Thank and, Haraldo, you can see him on the five. He's heading back to Washington, D.C., the more the eye of the storm. So we come back. I see you up there, one 866 So I'm going to get to some calls. Also, you can write me, BrianKillMe.com. I'm going to look at your comments now. And then Ben Dominich at the bottom of the hour to provide some analysis. Keep in mind, President started this week up 25 points on Ron DeSantis in a Fox News poll. Don't move. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. There is a long trail of people who feel burned in one way or another by Donald Trump. We certainly saw that in the White House. This was a pattern that existed for decades before at the Trump Organization. And the number of people I heard from yesterday who worked for his company, 
who were really happy. One person texted with the words wonderful news. Really? Wow. And that really sort of tells you something about where these folks' heads are. Yeah, that is, of course, Maggie Haberman, who thinks she knows everything about Trump. Uh, most of the stuff, about half comes true. The other thing uh, James Comey put out and said, it's a great day. Mike, listening in Washington, Mike. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Good. What do you think about all this? I think these people have opened themselves up to criminal prosecution now. In order to get Trump, they went outside the New York statute of limitations by saying he was living in Florida. Okay? So now they've availed themselves to the criminal statutes. Donald Trump can file an application for a criminal complaint for malicious prosecution. And anyone who gave Bragg money after Bragg announced I will convict him if you elect me. If they gave more than $25,000, they're subject to also a criminal complaint in federal court. He did say that on camera, guys. In case people out there, he did say that on camera in a couple interviews. I'm the best guy to prosecute Donald Trump. I filed 300 lawsuits against him. Vote for me. Noel said that. Letitia James sitting there with a a drink in her hand. I'm going to prosecute his bleep, bleep, bleep. So... That's exactly what's functioning in New York. By the way, it just made me think fundamentally, you should not be electing prosecutors because they're going to do the things that got them elected instead of fighting for justice. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Trump, as you well know, He has been warning we could see what he calls death and destruction if he faces charges. Now that he has been indicted, how worried are you about the potential for violence? And you saw the potential for violence, the real violence, and you were there on January 6th. Right. Well, there's no excuse for that kind of rhetoric on either side of this debate. Uh, and, And there's really no reason to be calling for people to be protesting over it as well. I think, look, I, I know... Uh, I, I know President Trump well, and I, I know President Trump can take care of himself in the courtroom, and he ought to focus on that right now. Right. So Mike Pence had this pre-scheduled town hall with CNN. Youngkin did it a couple of weeks ago. He said, it was asked by Wolf Blitzer. It ends up being all about Trump. It's the last thing he wanted. He's going to be on with Neil today at 4. Uh, but you know what's most important? I'm going to see all your calls. I will get to them shortly, as well as some of your emails. Uh, but uh, Ben Dominich with us now, Fox News contributor, editor-at-large for Spectator World, host of the Ben Dominich podcast. Ben, in the short term, it's hard to imagine this not helping Trump. Yeah, I think, you know, Brian, we need to, you know, of course, keep the perspective that it's easy to be wrong in our predictions of the way that things like this. Because we don't know what's in the indictment. We don't know what's in the indictment, and I think until we do, uh, we're we're prejudging a certain number of things. But I think that what is clear is, at least in the short term, you know, it it's not it does not hurt you to have uh, basically every uh, political foe and virtually every Republican that you have within your own party standing up and saying, "Hey, this is wrong. This is unacceptable. This is not uh, the way that we do things in America. This is something uh, that they do in foreign countries, and and we don't believe that this is the kind of thing that merits this in any case." And I think that that's going to be, you know, the general tenor of what we hear from people. But there's going to be, I think, a split that happens here, Brian, at some point, which is people are going to start to say, you know, 
look, we, we like Donald Trump, but we also are worried that this type of thing, as much as it might help him within a Republican primary, could hurt us within a general election that we believe it is of the utmost importance uh, that a conservative candidate wins to get back to the White House and push out this aggressive leftism of Joe Biden and his acolytes. And I think that uh, you know that's going to be something where a lot of different voters are going to have to come to their own conclusions. You know, when we vote, I think that we vote with the intention of trying to win, uh, as opposed to just trying to send a message uh, or trying to engage. In so some you're saying that you're worried that he can't win the general with uh, I, I these worry, indictments. I worry that I worry that the independent voters who came to his side in 2016, uh, many of whom you know still voted for him again in 2020, but not enough and not in the right places uh, to make it possible for him to win the White House again. And I think that for people who are mindful of that, you know, this is not the type of thing that tends to bring independent voters back. In fact, I think it makes them feel uncomfortable because they're unclear about it. At the same time, though, Brian, I think that independents in particular should be outraged at this. This is a partisan takeover. Yeah. of the entities that are supposed to serve all of us as Americans. Uh, you know, it's saying red team, blue team, that's all that matters, and we're going to find a way to get you if you're to someone who we dislike. Uh, and I think that, you know, no one has experienced that more than the former president. Uh, and so, you know, look, I understand his supporters today, they're angry. Uh, they're, some of them, I think, are, are engaged in a bit of, of ap- apocalyptic uh, rhetoric about kind of the, you know, this is the, you know, could be the end of America kind of thing. I think I'd like them to pump the brakes on that. Uh, I think he's going to be able to fight back. And I think he's going to beat this thing because it's, it's, that's how thin, I mean, again, we're prejudging here, but that's how thin this case seemed from the onset, from the outside. You know, it seemed that way for a long time. And I think that this is just what happens when a Democratic prosecutor bends to the pressure from his left wing in a blue state. And the ultimate uh, end point of this is going to be higher levels of distrust uh, across the board, Brian, and I think aggressive and escalated lawfare based on partisanship across the country. I I got worried, and and people have heard me say this before, is that uh, they're going after Matt Matt Taibbi with the IRS. Now the FTC is going after Elon Musk. Why? They're not flying with the COVID mandates. Mm -hmm. They're not flying with what was going on leading in the Russia uh, scam that was happening for five years. They're exposing it. Matt Taibbi, especially, and we know what Elon Musk is capable of and what he's doing. They're both under investigation. Why is that? I mean, there's well, not, that's not a coincidence. It's, it's not a coincidence, and we're not talking about, in either case, people known for being conservative no. Republicans. Matt Taibbi Rogan's has been a, next. a thorn in the side of people from both the, on the, both the left and the right for a long time. You know, he's a principled uh, kind of guerrilla journalist. Uh, and, you know, it, the fact is that he finally came across people, uh, you know, with uh, the Twitter files reporting and with his Russiagate reporting, who were willing to bend the rules to go after him in ways that should concern all of us, all of, uh, all of the Americans who believe that we ought to have civil civil liberties in this country. And when it comes to Elon Musk, you know, the left, he was their darling uh, until just a few years ago when it became clear that he disagreed with them on what really was a handful of issues at first. You know, before that, they were all about, oh, this is green energy, this is innovation, this is the future, this is science, et cetera. And then he starts saying his opinions about things, and suddenly they, you know, completely flip on a dime on him, and now they're going after him uh, in, again, as you said, uh, aggressive ways. Uh, And I think that that tells you 
how much the left mm-hmm. is just willing to play games with all of these different things that are actually very important, you know, sacred even in some cases, uh, in terms of uh, the the, uh, the way that our republic ought to work and that we ought to govern ourselves as a people. Well, Alan Dershowitz voted for Joe Biden, but he said this last night, cut 13. Also, when you're a Democratic elected prosecutor uh, who ran on the campaign pledge of getting Trump, and you're going to indict, forget about the former president, the man who may become the future president, if he beats the incumbent who is the head of your political party, prosecutor, you better have the strongest case imaginable, not a case that depends on stitching together two inapplicable statutes and using Michael Cohen. And that's a guy that's seen a lot of cases, right? Absolutely. And and look, I think that, you know, when he what he's really saying there is actually speaking, you know, for a lot of Democrats who I know and talk to who are very concerned about this case. They're concerned about it because they see the way that this is going to play out, which is as much as, you know, this might have, you know, your your random Democrat who just wants to see, you know, the former president in a jumpsuit and handcuffs, you know, jumping for joy uh, today. They see the, the eventual outcome as being one where this case is going to fall apart. It's going to be a laughing stock, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's ultimately going to hurt the uh, ability for them to make a stronger case against him in a general election because everybody's going to dismiss the the things that they say about him uh, as being you know just one more example of a witch hunt and look I I don't know you know that's projecting a, a you know a year and a half out from now Brian uh, but if that is the case if Donald Trump ends up getting reelected then I think a lot of Democrats are going to point back at this moment and say yeah. we screwed that up if they don't get he doesn't get indicted on the other two the other thing I'm just I don't want to spend the whole time because I want to get you on what's happened with the Wall Street Journal reporter but Ben the fact is that we do not know one thing about the investigation of Joe Biden's document case. Not one. Nothing is leaked. How's the investigation yeah. going? Has anyone been called in to verify a story? Any, any um, I don't know, any intern that picked up these cases and stuck these classified documents in a box and into his closet and by his Corvette? Do we have any investigation? Nothing. But we know every single person that Jack Smith has called out from the Mar-a-Lago case. We know that Mark Meadows mm-hmm. and all the others. What makes one president different than the other? And we just know that moronic forewoman that came out with her eyes rolling in her head, who worships witches, was the forewoman of the Georgia investigation. We don't hear anybody going to town on her incompetence. So, I, And also, for people that say it's just rhetoric that I say George Soros named prosecutor, I looked into it. George Soros gave a million dollars to the Color of Change Pack, which turned around and spent big time on Bragg's candidacy. George Soros's son, Jonathan Soros, and wife, Jennifer, donated directly to Bragg's campaign. $10,000 check. Uh, Jennifer gave another $10,000 check contribution. You may say, what's the big deal? Nobody ever pours money into these campaigns. So if you come up in a million dollars, it's like putting $100 million in. Yeah, I mean, one of the things to keep in mind about that for, for folks who don't understand is that the, the left has engaged really in this locally targeted campaign to promote these uh, types of progressive prosecutors uh, and and even uh, getting involved in state legislative races to an unprecedented degree in terms of the amount of money that they're pouring into it. So when you hear something like Soros-backed and people say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory or something like that, that's a, that's ludicrous. It's it's absolute hair-splitting to say that it was, it was as if he has to write a check directly 
directly, you know, George Soros has to write a check directly to him. No, he gave a ton of money to Color of Change, which also gave a ton of money to back him and to back other progressive uh, prosecutors across the country in serving his interests. You wouldn't hear this kind of thing if it was coming, you know, from a right-based donor or something like that. This is not, this is absolutely clearly an attempt to undermine the, the rule of law in America in a way that these progressives want to do, and they've done it in this case uh, very sadly, and I think that it's something we have to speak openly about and not be intimidated yeah. by people in the media who try to turn it into something other than what it is, which is calling it out as being a progressive invasion of, of local policies that we have not seen to this point in America. And by the way, all these people have ruined all these cities. Look at Philadelphia, look at Los uh-huh. Angeles, look at San Francisco, look at, uh, look at Chicago, look at New York. So the other big story, and there's a lot of them, is the weakness we're showing everywhere. I have never felt like this, Benny. You're so good on foreign policy. But we watched as our drone got, $200 million drone got shot out of the sky, got knocked out of the Mm -hmm. sky by the Russians. Do you know that we altered our flights now to not get in their way, even though it's international waters? We are – this administration is spineless. Do you know that we have done – uh, we have n- not done anything to make sure that the weapons that we're giving to Ukraine are actually getting to the front lines and the money that we're giving because we have no way of following through. And a chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff had no qualms about relaying that. And then we find out that our Wall Street Journal reporter, a day after publishing a story talking about the cratering of the Russian economy, gets grabbed all out of dinner and jailed for spying. And what do we do? Nothing. You better let him go. Is that okay? We have have seen uh, this administration engage time and again uh, in bending over backwards to accommodate our adversaries. Uh, And once we start doing that, then this is the kind of thing that happens. Um, You know, I obviously, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't, do not personally know Evan Gershkovich, uh, the Wall Street Journal uh, reporter in question, part of their Moscow bureau. Uh, But he's obviously someone who's assigned to cover some very important and very critical entities within the Russian state that put him at odds with their interests. And what we've seen, you know, look, this is not the only person in this situation. You know, back when uh, you had the whole Victor Boot, uh, Brittany Griner exchange, that was something that was obviously forced uh, on the administration by the uh, domestic kind of leftist progressive interests uh, because of Griner's capacity. But now you also have them completely ignoring uh, the plight of, you know, another American uh, resident in Victor Karamur who is, uh, you know, in, in a situation uh, in uh, currently in jail in Russia uh, where he has had all sorts of different health problems, where his wife is begging the White House and the, and the administration to engage uh, on, his, on his case to try to get him uh, out of there because she's concerned he's going to die in prison over there. They've tried to poison him before twice. Look, this is the type of, of result of an administration that does not project American authority and power. Uh, the fact that, you know, they, they get rid of one of our drones and and our and our reaction to that is, oh, it's it's okay. We'll just we'll route around where where you don't want us to be. You know, we'll we'll respect that. That's not the approach of a serious administration. That's not one that actually believes in projecting American right. power. Uh, and I think instead, you know, we we really are seeing the results of the of the Obama JV team. The the people way too junior to have senior roles within that administration. But they check a we're box. Seeing how much worse they can botch everything. Yeah, they check a box. And by the way, the Wall Street Journal wrote this story. We better do this. And they write this in the editorial. Thuggish leaders keep doing thuggish things if they think they will pay no price. The Biden administration will have to consider diplomatic and political escalation, expelling Russia's ambassador to the U.S., as well as all Russian journalists working here would be the minimum to expect. How would that be? I'd love to see that today. You know, I I think one of the things that we do not 
have in this administration is the kind of stones that it takes uh, to send a message. Instead, they want to engage in these things as if, you know, Joe Biden is still the head of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee or something like that. Uh, He's not. He's the commander in chief. The job is different. And I think that, unfortunately, we're dealing with a bunch of people who are still acting like, oh, I'm just a Senate aide, you know, going back and forth with some other uh, country and and trying to negotiate some way to to find a a conclusion. Instead, I think that they need to understand it's important that we project American power. Otherwise, What's to prevent them from doing this the next time that a journalist reports something that they don't like? Yeah, you know, again, yeah. in the Griner case, they at least you know said, "Oh well, you know, oh she has something, you know, she has cannabis that's illegal." Uh, in in his case, there's no such even claim. They're just inventing from whole cloth the idea that he is somehow engaged in espionage without any proof whatsoever. Because he wrote a uh, true, and that's yeah. just because he's done something inconvenient. Yeah, he wrote a story that told the truth. And by the way, we really miss your father-in-law in times like this. He would never have let this uh, slide. <laughs> Uh, ben Dominich, thanks so much. Great to be with you as always, Brian. All right. Uh, at the Ben Dominich podcast, of course, I'm talking about John McCain. All right. Uh, Alex, Tom, Laura, you'll be the first three when we come back. Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Let's go out to Alex listening in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the call. I got two things. You know, I'm really upset about this indictment. Last week when the jury was officially on a break and this week as well, I was pretty convinced that, you know, these people on the jury, they're just Democratic voters. They're not corrupt people. They're just people that are convinced wrongly by the fake news media who, you know, who who basically blew up everything about Trump and even this story. So I thought when they went into the court and they saw the actual facts and how weak this case was, they would be like, hey, maybe everything else about Trump is also exaggerated and it's not this big monster that we just have to indict over this crap. But apparently, once you're a Democrat and you're brainwashed, there's no way to undo it. You can show you all the facts. There's nothing to do about it. The other thing is... Can I just stop you there one thing? Maybe the fact that it took so long, maybe there people were saying, my goodness, there's nothing here. And maybe he just kept parading people until they finally broke him. I can't wait to get that that story, but go ahead. (laughs) Yep. And, and there's the other factor as well that Alan Dershowitz said on Hannity, you know, it could be they were afraid to get back to their family when all, everybody in their community are Democrats. But I think that they indicted President Trump. Number one, they want him to become the nominee of the Republican Party. People are saying it's going to backfire. They want it to backfire because they know he, he's going to lose in the general election. They want it to happen. And they also went after him. This is a serious big problem. They went after him in the past politically. They tried to impeach him. They looked for dirt on him. And some people say they interfered with the election. That was sending a threat to any politician. Hey, you started with the establishment. We're going to ruin your political career. But now they're going after me and any person that's against the establishment, not just a politician. They're saying, hey, we got 87,000 new IRS agents. We investigated the president. We couldn't find any serious dirt on him, but we're going to look into everybody's taxes. And if you once filed your taxes wrong, say 30 years ago, and you're against the establishment on the wrong side of the aisle, we're going to possibly put you in prison. This is a communist regime. This is the worst thing that ever happened. I didn't Gotcha. on January 6th, but I'm going to come out for test peacefully against this because I think this is the worst. Well, go to, worst Alex, go, I appreciate you fired up. And one more call. I want to try to get another call in Dennis in Virginia Beach. Probably go Tuesday, Alex. Dennis. Hey, hey Brian. How you doing? Good. What's your I didn't know. I didn't know we lived in a banana republic now the way it's going. And if Trump gets in again, can he go after these people? 
Well, the number one, his trial be right at the time of the election, just before or just after. How crazy would that be? That would be. And also, can the Supreme Court do anything about this? No, I don't think so. I mean, we got to see the merits of the case at some point on Tuesday. Let's see what happens. I mean, you can appeal. I, I believe you can appeal if it is a conviction. But let's see what happens first. Remember, we only they only saw one side of the story and heard from the lawyer, Costello. They have not heard his side of the story yet. And it still took him forever to indict. How about seven years and no indictment until yesterday? Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. That Shannon Bream, normally very professional, not talking when I'm talking. But this time it's totally different. Maybe because she's just coming off television and feels that's a superior medium. We're not sure. Jennifer Griffin at the bottom of the hour inside the Pentagon. What is going on with our foreign policy? You saw the Wall Street Journal reporter get arrested, be charged with spying. Why? He did a great job writing a column about the collapse of the Russian economy. But there is just no fear in our for our country because we don't do anything to people that act against us. Case in point, no one's talking about it, but our 900 men and women base in Syria was bombed twice. And the first thing we say to the Iranian proxies is we don't want a war with Iran. It nothing breeds nothing but weakness. I'll bring that up with Jennifer and so much more. But the big story is the indictment that was handed down about 5 o'clock Eastern time yesterday. Uh, the first time in the history of this country this has happened. That, that is not lost on Shannon Bream, the anchor of Fox News Sunday. And she has a brand new book out. It's called The Love Stories of the Bible, Biblical Lessons on Romance, Friendship, and Faith. Uh, Shannon, welcome. What, was that too noisy of an entrance? It was unbelievable. It was, <laughs> Sorry. No, I mean, people are used to not hearing the background noise. I'm like, screeching like, in here I'm, on two wheels. Right. Like up on the side. Well, you know? have such a big staff. I don't blame you. It's what? Like, you, the staff, people you do not listen in. to him. It's like, check her hair, check the security. Okay, you have somebody like counts your ice cubes that go in each of your drinks. So I don't oh, want to yeah. hear it. Um, excuse me, room temperature? Right? <laughs> They've melted. No, that is not true. <laughs> All right, so... Um, this indictment, we don't know what's in the indictment. I keep thinking to see and talking to our lawyers like you, and you tell me where I'm wrong, say it has to include something about business. They say that there's much more in it, 24 counts. It's got to be more than Stormy Daniels. Is Does it include the McDougal story that David Pecker uh, bought and then crushed? What else could it be in there that might put the Trump lawyers on their back foot? Um, that's an excellent question. We probably, unless something really weird happens, won't see this indictment before the arraignment, which we think is going to happen on Tuesday. But think about the pressure that Alvin Bragg has been under in recent weeks where people are like this. I mean, from the left, too, saying this is not the best case. Don't do this. Does he have a bunch of stuff we don't know about? Does he have anything we don't know about? Um, I'll be very interested to see that because he's been warned, don't bring this indictment if you can't actually land a conviction, then it's going to look like nothing but political. He must feel like he's got enough to move forward. So I want to bring you this. I don't know if you saw this uh, because I've been doing radio. Uh, but have? Yahoo uh, has this story. Politico has this story. The Manhattan DA wanted Trump to be arrested Friday. Right. And it was Secret Service that backed him off mm. and said, we can't do that. So that's with Tuesday. So I guess in theory, we were going to get the indictment yesterday. So they hand it down, but they don't actually tell us what's in it. Mm-hmm. Shannon, how unusual is that? 
to, to indict somebody and not tell us what the indictment is? Well, I mean, usually until the person is arraigned, you don't get a look at it. And sometimes that, you know, takes arraigned. a little bit of time. So not the, the arraign- announcement, the arraignment. Right, the arraignment. Now, it's possible. I mean, you could petition to release it early to have some kind of press conference or something else. If I'm Trump? Um, no, that would probably come from the other side to say, like, okay, we're announcing this indictment and here's what's in it. Um, that would be unusual, really unusual. So I think that we just have to wait to that arraignment day. Um, and we have 34 counts, according to Allegedly. CNN, a couple of dozen, according to The New York Times. And I want you to hear what Lanny Davis said, because Lanny Davis said something that he has got to look at the case. By the way, do you agree with the conventional thought that it bothers the prosecution that Michael Cohen is talking on camera? And so is Lanny Davis. But here's what he said. Cut eight. And I would also warn all the pundits and everyone speculating, including those who are on your panel, that there are lots of facts, lots of documents, lots of evidence of multiple crimes. And before anyone guesses the strength or the weakness of this case, mm-hmm. wait to see and read the indictment. I'm just predicting there will be a lot of people surprised at the level of evidence, at the detail of evidence, based on my experience in watching this group of prosecutors develop this case. That could be. I mean, he's spoken, his client has spoken 22 times. Right. Um, and Stormy Daniel seems to be taking a victory lap and saying there's more to this that you don't know about. So she's I mean, saying that. Well, remember what she had said uh, a couple of days ago. She's been very cryptic in her tweets, but something to the effect like that there's more coming or there's more you don't know, something along those lines. And obviously she was very happy yesterday. Uh, she and James Comey out tweeting what a great day it was. So um, And her lawyer quickly walked that back, it seems. Yeah. So I feel like. Of course, that's how grand juries work. They are done in secrecy so that they can put together the case, and we don't know about it. We may be surprised on Tuesday. Are you busy Tuesday? I think you should clear your day. Um, well, I have other things to do. You do have 10 jobs. I do have 10 jobs, and um, I do have to keep in touch. So here's what Stormy Daniels tweeted out. Thank you to everyone for your support and love. I have so many messages coming in, I can't respond, dot, dot, dot. Also, don't want to spill my champagne. Hashtag Team Stormy. Merch. Hashtag auto, uh, slash autograph orders are pouring in too. Did you order some? Yes. I hope. When, do you know? I didn't want to do the rush shipping. Mm-hmm. It's so, extra. I would just wait. Yeah, I just want to do uh, snail mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for uh, thank you that uh, thank you for that as well. But allow a few extra days for shipment. Right, because so, you didn't want to pay. For, you're yeah, cheap. You're not going to pay for the extra. Exactly. And then I got to I, I mail it to my house, and then which is going to need. I'm going to have to do some explaining. Right. Have, if you, if something arrives and the return address is Stormy Daniels, right, your wife's gonna have some questions. Right. And I don't First, blame I'm her. gonna say that's not her birth name. It is. I forget. We all Clifford. know what it is. Something Clifford. Stephanie. Stephanie Clifford. Stephanie yeah. Clifford. Yep. Look, the two of us, we can put it together. So Clark Brewster, her attorney, quickly realizes probably how inappropriate that is. The indictment of Donald Trump is no case for joy. The hard work and conscientiousness of the grand jurors <laughs> must be respected. Now let truth and justice prevail. No one is above the law. Or below it. Right. That's what we have to remember. Hmm. We'll see. We shall see. Are you making a reference? All right. No, no, no. I'm just saying, you know, that's kind of everybody's like, listen, if this is a legit case, great. Alvin Bragg can come out and he can show it and he's going to have to go prosecute it and convince a jury. That's great. Right. But if, it, um, but if it's not, then you're only lending credence to what President Trump has been saying. And I also, in the back of my mind, so we know this, according to the experts in timing, this thing is going to take forever to seat, yep. uh, take about a year, mm-hmm. it takes forever to seat a jury, mm-hmm. and then you're going to have the trial. We'll start right around election. Right. 
right. I mean, can you imagine being if, if he's the nominee? Can you imagine being running for the president at the same time that you are sitting through jury selection and being sworn in in your, you know, hopefully your own defense in the middle of a criminal trial? Like uh, the last few years of this country have been so crazy. This is a, a whole nother level. Can you pardon yourself? I think a lot of people think you can. Right. Mm-hmm. So the other case in Georgia with the whack job for woman. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is that a, a technical description? <laughs> yes. Her eyes rolling in her head who wants to be a witch according to her own social media. Mm-hmm. She was the for woman and she came out and did a press run. That didn't oh, go well. Oh, a bunch. Yeah. yeah. That did not go well. So she is – we're waiting for what? Mm-hmm. The district attorney to do what Alvin Bragg did, indict or not. Well, and that's what the four-person talked about. She kind of hinted that through these interviews that she had that there were going to be a lot of people indicted. And she kind of flirted around what she could and couldn't say, but she made it sound like, you know, there's another shoe to drop. So does Fannie Willis, the you know, the prosecutor there – Say like, oh boy, I got to wait for the Alvin Bragg dust to settle, or he kind of stole my thunder, or I, I don't know. We don't know what that grand jury has either. Can you tell me everything you know about the investigation of the Joe Biden document case around his Corvette, around the mm-hmm. Penn Center, of his his There's lawyer a special counsel in, in Boston? Right. How come we don't know anything about that? Senator mm-hmm. Warner actually came out Democrat and said, "I know nothing about that. I was supposed to be briefed on the documents mm-hmm. for Trump and Biden. I haven't been briefed." Why? How much do we know about Trump's investigation? Yeah, um, there's a little bit more leakage on Ma- one Mark side than the other. Vice president. Mm-hmm. This is January 6th and the Mar-a-Lago yeah. too, by mm-hmm. the same guy. Evan Corcoran. Yeah. You know, the, the lawyer who has, has to, to go, testify against his client. We do know a lot about the developments in that in that dual track special investigation at the federal level. But does that bother you as a student of the law? It seems to be a dual, I mean, an inexplicable dual path of justice. I would like to know what's going on with the Biden special counsel. But again, all of these are supposed to be confidential while they're proceeding. So if if it's a leak issue, then that's, you know, then we can't know what's happening on the other side. Do you want to hear the most ridiculous soundbite ever? Let's hear it. So Michael Cohen will be the center of this case. Do we agree on that? Yep. So this is how he really feels. Cut seven. Personally, I don't want to see him. Paraded that way. Remember, because he's a former president of the United States, because I actually care more about the office of the presidency of the United States than he does. I don't want to see this made into the laughing stock of the world. He was still a former president. I mean, these aren't the things that these are the things that you see from other countries like Venezuela. Right. I mean, you don't expect to see the former. This is a first time ever in the history of this country that a president, former president, has been indicted. This is unprecedented. And the more that we keep this, we'll call it classy, the better it is for our position in the world. So he testified 22 times to make sure this day would happen. <laughs> and now he says he doesn't want it to happen. It feels a little cake and eat it, too. I mean, like, he clearly was upset. I mean, like, he he had his own situation, wound up in jail. You, I would have some level of bitterness over that probably. And he says, why shouldn't he, you know, face the same things that I face? Every day he yeah, says it. But he now does. he doesn't want to actually see him arrested. I, that is hard for me to reconcile, those two positions. In which nice, I, No, I'm just saying for to, to nice. testify 22 times and then say, I don't actually want to see this happen. Ah. The thing is, I actually think that former President Trump, if he's going to have to walk down this path, he wants, like we saw this morning, the wires were saying, like, he won't be handcuffed. Like, no, no, I think he would want to be handcuffed and want to be walked through because I think he wants to be defended. 
defiant and show, you know, that he is walking down this path. He's going to take the slings and arrows. I'm doing it for you voters out there. Um, so I, we don't think there's going to be much of a public skeptic, um, spectacle. And we're not supposed to see the mugshot unless somebody leaks it. And given the leak situation, that might happen. In New York City, it's not St. Patrick's Day, but every cop is in full mm-hmm. uniform. Mm-hmm. Everybody has to work today. Mm-hmm. So I don't care what your plans were. In full uniform, even if you're undercover, New York City is on high alert. Uh, I think that when the president comes out Tuesday is when they should have had it. Today, I don't. Well, do you think they'll continue through? Because, listen, there will be people that if he's in New York and he's being arraigned here and he's going to have to put in a plea deal and stuff or whatever. I mean, he's got a lot of supporters and people I think that will show up. Uh, to watch him, if he know, if they know he's going to be on the steps speaking, yes. Mm-hmm. But will they show up just to hold signs? Because he told them to show up two weeks ago and they didn't really. That's true. He didn't get a big, huge turnout for right. that. Right. But we'll be there, there'll be a ton of press there to cover it. Yeah. The so, press might outnumber any protesters. Right. So Chuck Schumer, uh, by the way, James Comey said, it's been a good day. Yes, he did. Classy. He tweeted that. That's classy as for him. But again, uh, James Comey should not be talking. Part of what he did launch the whole Russia probe, he should be embarrassed. Mm. Uh, and he's tall. Chuck Schumer uh, said this, Mr. Trump is subject to the same laws as every American. He'll be able to avail himself of the legal system and jury, not politics, to determine uh, his fate. And Nancy Pelosi said the grand jury has acted upon the facts and the law. No one is above law and everyone has the right to a trial to prove innocence. <laughs> to prove innocence. Uh, to pr- <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully the former president will peacefully respect the system. Um, so prove his innocent. I, thought, I love that part see, because know, I'm pre- like, prove whoever, guilty until innocent. whoever drafted that is on probation this morning. I think she did herself. You know what I'm saying? Maybe it's I a don't voice know, tweet. but I would not be happy with whichever staffer put that together because the most basic fundamental thing you learn, not, you don't even have to go to first year of law school, just in life, mm-hmm. that in this country it's innocent until proven guilty. Hey, uh, Allison, would you ask Shannon's chief of staff if she can stay for two blocks? <laughs> she can't. She can't? What? She, can't, she has to. She has Varney. You don't want to I'm, mess up. I'm going like to Varney. Upset. I'm going to Varney at 1130-ish, I think. Where's Sammy? Well, Sammy runs my life. She can tell me. That's unbelievable. Didn't you say, Varney, I do usually do two segments with Brian. No, because I don't want to overstay my welcome here. I want to leave you wanting more. All right. How about who's on your show? Do you even know? Listen, I'm going to tell you, we did sort of blow up the show. So we have added some really big legal names that I can't divulge just yet. But I think they're going to have a lot of inside information. People want to hear about this on Sunday. And we also have Senators Manchin and Cassidy from both sides of the aisle to talk to us about everything that's going on in the Hill and how this plays there. You know, the debt ceiling. You you realize Senator Joe Manchin feels totally dissed. He does. That's why we're going to have him come talk about it. I thought he was savvy. How would he think that after – yeah, you sign this paper for the, the rescue plan. Right. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. But here's the thing. The White House can only do that once because if you burn well, Joe Manchin me, like in, this – Inflation Reduction Act. Inflation Reduction Act. You burn him like this, um, he's not going to play that game with you again. Right. So I, it's not a very smart move on their part. And, you know, we'll talk to him about these rumors of how serious he might be or might not be about a third-party run. Let me just tell you, when you talk permitting, it means ratings. So you just get him you talking for a minute. down. Do you like ah. to see what I did there? <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Pun intended. I did. So listen, Stuart Varney's going to have a great time. I wish I could call him ahead of time. I'll tell him you're that in you your, said you have You brought your A game. Did I? Yeah. I, I thought it was more like an A minus. I like to see you keep it up on television. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, when can I see you later? Like Saturday night, you got your show. Is there anything else going Saturday on? Saturday night at 8 o'clock. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, I'll see you on the 5 this afternoon. Then I'll see you at 8, and then I'll see you on Oh, you're Sunday on the 5 morning. this afternoon, too. You know it. Oh, yeah. And pick up her, uh, pick up uh, Shannon's book. Oh, it's that's It's called great. Uh, Love Stories of the Bible Speak, Biblical Lessons on week. Romance, Friendship, and Faith. It's Don't we need now. a little bit more love in the world right now?
Yes, and okay. I think the Partridge family sang about that. Well, yes, and right. I will get you a signed copy free of charge. Shannon Bream, thank you. Bye. Expanding your knowledge base, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, Jennifer Griffin in studio, one of our favorite all-time guests in Fox Superstar. She's a technical title. Is this correct, Jennifer? It's Chief National Security Correspondent. That is right. And that's how I have to refer to you. Yes, yes. Chief. Always Chief. Chief. Yeah. Okay, fine. Chief. <laughs> Great to see you. So much Thanks. going on. I mean, um, I actually wrote the monologue for the Saturday show already, basically all on foreign policy and what is going on, the challenges that we're receiving. But I also saw the Pentagon was asked a lot of questions this week about they want to go to bat for their budget. Should they have asked for more? I mean, isn't this the moment to go in and ask for more? It's tricky, Brian. This is the largest Pentagon budget in history, $842 billion technically. But if you take into account inflation, inflation, it really – this is – and there are some who argue that this should be not – 3% 3% of GDP. But if you look back at the Reagan time period during the Cold War, height of the Cold War and the uh, defense budgets then, that was 6% of GDP. So you would be talking over a trillion dollar defense budget, but that's not going to go down politically very well for the left or the right, frankly. So it is tricky. They're walking a fine line. It's not a um, – it, it's – it's a lot. I mean, $842 billion, it's well more than any of our allies or adversaries. But at a time when you are never in the history of the world have there been this many national security threats facing no the United States and the real threat of two potential great power wars. That's that's enormous. You know, what's heartening is both sides seem to agree that China is the problem. And it almost we haven't been this unified. It was used to be strategy. How are you going to attack the Soviet Union? Oh, I want missiles here. I don't. That used to be the strategy, but the objective was the same. This is the first time in a long time the objective has been the same. Well, it is interesting. It's the one bipartisan agreement that you see in Washington is that China is the threat. I think the differences come in. And I think we were talking before this started about some of the threats that the projecting of of whether it's weakness or losing deterrence. Uh, When you see a situation like we saw three weeks ago when the far right and the far left, uh, the Freedom Caucus and the Progressive Caucus, Congressman Matt Gates and AOC team up to for a resolution in, in the House of Representatives to pull all U.S. troops out of Syria. What happened two weeks later? You saw Iranian-backed proxies firing missiles and drones at those bases. That is a problem, and it used to be that national security issues and foreign policy ended at the water's edge. It's not happening anymore. And our guys need uh, protection over there. And you were saying that if we had a kid over there, you got to be kidding me. They need protection. They need retribution. We just scratched the surface. Now that you have another segment with us before we put you back on the Acela. Thank you. All right. Jennifer Griffin sticks around. Don't move. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show.
Putin is trying to silence reporting in Russia. Uh, he's also trying to have bargaining chips against the United States. Uh, there's two other Americans. Paul Whelan has been held for more than four years on false espionage charges. Mark Fogel is an American school teacher. He had a small amount of medical marijuana. He was sentenced to 16 years in prison. He's been held for over a year. So, you know, Evan is now a, a bargaining chip. I, I think he feels he's worried. He faces a very, very long sentence. But in my time, I always felt terrible for my family. Um, and, and his family now is in this excruciating position where they're trying to pressure President Biden to help get Evan out. They really don't have that power, though. So it's it's just a sad situation. And it's sad for Russians. It's so sad what Vladimir Putin has done to Russia and that he's acting in such an autocratic way to silence any free reporting in Russia. It's beyond sad. It's evil. Uh, David Rohde, MSNBC Wall Street Journal reporter, talking about when he was captured by the Taliban uh, in Afghanistan in 2008, now he knows what it's going to be like for this Wall Street Journal reporter, Jennifer Griffin, our guest, uh, that we've never had a time. Remember when uh, President Obama said during the debate to Mitt Romney, um, his 1970s call, 1980s call, they want, want, their, they want their foreign policy, policy back. back. Yeah, and you know, he was laughed at, but in fact— Russia's not an enemy. Yeah. They clearly are an enemy. Now. They're an enemy, and they've always been an enemy. And, and you know, I saw it when I lived there in the 90s. And thinking about this Wall Street Journal reporter, I mean, I think it's important to keep in context that— he is – when we as reporters repeat the Russian lies, which is that he was uh, he was uh, arrested on espionage charges, that almost elevates the fact that we might – that there might be a possibility that he was a, a spy. He was not. He is a bartering chip for, for Putin. That is what Putin does. It's why he grabbed Brittany Griner right before the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. He is now gobbling up as many pawns as he – because he is going to want people in return back when we traded uh you know the the um uh, merchant yeah victor boot the merchant of death uh that just inspires encourages him knowing that there will be trades uh reminds me of tehran 1979 you know hostages there are going to be more american hostages but let's call evan the wall street journal reporter uh what he is he's a hostage of the putin government so you believe that we should change the way we we report it Oh, I do, because I think when you report it straight and say – if you. you say that the Russian government says that they – he's, he's uh, charged with espionage, that almost makes people think, well, wait, wait, was he a spy? Is he a spy? No, he's not a spy. He was a reporter for the Wall Street Journal, an accredited reporter. We know who he is. He was not a spy. He is a hostage of the Putin government, and words matter. And I think it, it's no different than uh, – well – Look at what what it came a day after there were reports that the U.S. might extradite a uh, a Russian citizen who had been a student at Johns Hopkins who was picked up in um, uh, in Europe. He was a spy. You remember the show The Americans, where they, they planted yeah. an American a, a Russian into the American university, made him look uh, like he was American. He's one of those, and the U.S. was about to extradite him from Europe, and Putin grabbed. Uh, this Wall Street Journal reporter, and I'm sure that will be part of the trade at some point. Jennifer Griffin with us. So, Jennifer, there's a lot, so much going on right now because uh, this week we believe that the Taiwanese president is going to meet with the Speaker of the House out in California, and the Chinese warned us not to do it. You better not meet. Now, we've done this seven times, comes over. We're going out. John Kirby's going out of the way to say this is a transit. This shouldn't be provocative. 
How do you feel about the message we're relaying in the meeting that will happen? Well, remember what happened. Originally, Speaker McCarthy wanted to go over to Taiwan. He wanted to do what Nancy Pelosi had done and to show up. And he agreed to compromise um, after consulting with national security experts. And to Taiwan, not Yeah, Taiwan didn't want him to come. They don't want to provoke China right now. And so the compromise was that he would meet with uh, the Taiwanese president here in the United States. The Taiwanese president came through New York a day ago. Uh, We'll go down to Latin America and come back and meet Kevin McCarthy in uh, California. So it's a compromise. It still shows that the U.S. is not afraid to meet with the the president of Taiwan. But I think what we should be watching is that there are some countries that are succumbing to Chinese pressure and they are changing. Like Argentina. Yes. Argentina has has backtracked and now won't recognize uh, Taiwan and and is. And so China, as we are focusing on uh, Ukraine, and and other issues, our domestic politics. Right now, China is moving into Latin America, into Africa, and even into Europe, gobbling up their infrastructure, filling vacuums by loaning money to these governments that post-COVID Belt need money. The Belt and Road Initiative. If the U.S. does not go toe-to-toe with them on that and bring those countries back into the Western fold, uh, this we are in a period of time Brian, this is a new chapter. It will be written about by historians as to how we handle these next this next decade. So we watched the Argentinian president come and visit here. Was pressure put on that president I don't to know. back off? And, 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 you know, there need to be consequences. They're just like inflation is at a thousand percent right now. Why are there no consequences for South Africa and India not joining the U.S. and NATO allies and other European allies and the members of the free world in pressuring in, you know, in ostracizing Russia with regards to their invasion of Ukraine? If you can't bring in India and South Africa and if the full weight of the U.S. government is not enough to scare those countries into basically joining you you have a choice to make you're on the right side of history or you're not but we don't use the full weight of our power india especially india is taking over as you know better than anybody some of the some of the businesses that we abandoned the mcdonald's the restaurants and we and they're going into russia they are the largest uh, importer of russian oil it's why putin is allowed it can stay afloat despite all these sanctions is because china and india are buying their oil it's that simple is this true cut 35 What do you make of this? Do you take Xi Jinping seriously when he says he's preparing his country for war? Uh, We we take uh, – certainly we take uh, uh, Mr. Xi uh, seriously. Um, But I will say that I don't think that an attack on Taiwan is imminent nor inevitable. Do you agree? Well, I don't think that – I think – here's what I'm concerned about right now in listening to that exchange and in listening to both – We do have – the one bipartisan issue is that both parties agree that China is a threat and that Taiwan is worth protecting and defending because of the chips issue, because of all sorts of issues. Uh, My concern right now is that there is a great deal of groupthink that sort of is presenting war as inevitable. If you do look at the war games of the U.S. versus China over Taiwan – Nobody wins. You're talking tens of thousands of deaths in the first days. You're talking about destruction that we haven't seen since World War II. That 
what needs to happen right now is there needs to be deterrence and there needs to be a credible military buildup, both of Taiwan. Taiwan needs to be a porcupine. It needs to be a hardened target. The U.S. military needs to to say to them, you're buying the wrong weapons. Here's what you need to buy. The U.S. government needs to move faster and make sure that they have the right. Uh, they don't. And, it's been but, three but years, it's, right? It's very – well, it's a supply chain issue. It goes back to all of our supply chains. Things are slowed down. It takes forever to build weapons. It takes uh, – the, forever to supply them. It's no different than the rest so of ours. So you don't believe it's a lack of, lack of will to get them the weapons they It's not a lack of need. will. Okay. It's not a lack of will. It's a supply chain issue as much as anything. And also Taiwanese, just like the Ukrainians on the eve of the invasion of Ukraine, they don't want to believe that it's happening. So they haven't been buying the right equipment. So it's a little bit on them as well. They haven't been preparing right. to, to, to deter China either. So, so it's complicated. But I don't want us to talk ourselves into a war because nobody wins if there's a war. But it needs to be deterred and it needs to be deterred fast. And I don't think you can, under, uh, you can overstate the fact that China's not been in a war. They, you know, they build up. They spend. I get it. They're doing this, this, and this. But until you actually do it after talking to all the veterans and nobody talks to more than you, and then the commanders, the lieutenants, the captains, what they learn in the middle of a war, that's why we got the best special forces. They got better and better and better before our and eyes. And we're learning a lot from Ukraine. Don't forget what the U.S. military is learning from how the Ukrainians are using weapons that we're giving them. They're MacGyvering them. They're, they're using them in ways that even the U.S. military, and it is a learning process. So anyone who says that, you, that, that it's a zero-sum game and you can't do Ukraine and also do Taiwan, they are missing the point. You learn a lot in what's happening in Ukraine and how those weapons are being used. I want you to hear this cut from 60 Minutes. This is Admiral Samuel Paparo uh, trying to alert this country that this is a real threat. What happens if China invades Taiwan? Cut 38, Taiwan. And if China invades Taiwan, what will the U.S. Navy do? It's a decision of the president of the United States and a decision of the Congress. It's our duty to be ready for that. But the bulk of the United States Navy will be deployed rapidly to the Western Pacific to come to the aid of Taiwan if the order comes to aid Taiwan in thwarting that invasion. Is the U.S. Navy ready? We're ready, yes. Uh, I'll never admit to being ready enough. you believe we're ready? I don't know that anybody's ready for what this would mean. And I say that in all seriousness. The one good thing that I've seen happen in the last two years is that the U.S. has been very rapidly, and it's and this administration deserves credit, in getting more allies in the Pacific. So we have probably nine more bases than we did two years ago between the Philippines, Guam. These are bases that Australia can, seems to understand Australia the with the AUKUS South agreement. South Korea and Japan are now speaking. They're, Japan is the biggest game changer because they didn't remember post-World War II. They didn't spend money on defense. They, wouldn't ha- they didn't have a standing military. There, there's a whole there's a whole sea change of mentality there because they see what's happened in Ukraine with Russia and they recognize that China is a huge threat and they are preparing to help Taiwan uh, South Korea there's a change in mentality there 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 is but there are more US bases there they're moving as fast as they can but again I go back to supply chains we can't build ships fast enough we're not we're not replacing the legacy platforms the the planes you know you're, you're, everything is backlogged so weapons they need to be built faster right. and these uh, and and you can't cut in budgets. We talked about the $842 billion. That sounds like a huge amount of money. 
but they're also decommissioning a lot of ships that they are going to need. Uh, listen, I will say this. I would love – I hear that – and this might be oversimplification, but I hear the defense contractors need 10-year deals. So you need to have a commitment for 10 years. This is where they could plan, they could forecast, they could hire, they could spend, they could give budgets. But if you're going to keep rotating them out every two years and say, that's dead, this is alive. This is dead, yep. this is alive. So, so that, they need 10-year plans. And the Pentagon is the first to tell you that. But guess what gets in the way of that? Continuing resolutions, talk about debt limits and, and debt ceilings and and, uh, and defunding, <laughs> you know, having putting right. holds on the government spending. That messes up the U.S. military more than anything else. I, I think I think you, you understand how important I view and I think most sober people view the war in Ukraine. To me, we have to be successful there. Uh, the way they fight, all they want is the weapons to do it. But the one thing, though, the building Republican resentment is what about the money? Do we know where the money's going? So I heard Deloitte was hired to follow the money. And then I hear this from General Milley. And I'm thinking about all the critics and people running for office. Cut 27. We do not have... Uh, any uniformed troops uh, or civilians, for that matter, uh, accompanying Ukrainian forces in the front line. Uh, we do have folks working out of the embassy, uh, so they're working at the Ministry of Defense level, uh, and that's as far as our on uh, hands-on accountability goes. We do have some other uh, uh, means uh, through reporting that uh, the Ukrainians report to us, and I'll be happy to talk about that in a classified session, but the there are uh, some means and mechanisms of doing some accountability. It is not as rigorous as you might think. That just cut, right? Are you kidding? So that – I heard that, Brian. And, you know, when I was out in Ukraine a year ago, I was with people who explained to me how we do actually track weapons. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we send a bean counter with those weapons up to the front lines. There are many technical ways that we can track weapons with – we put um, – I don't want to even say how we do it. And that's why you heard General Milley talk about more could be said in the classified setting. U.S. troops are not on the front lines, but there are many other people and technological means to track weapons. And I would point out because I think I know I think the answer was very was was not not as as precise was not as precise or or full. It was not the full picture based on my reporting and what I know to be true. That being said. The amount of money being spent in Ukraine is a pittance compared to what it costs to fight a war. You know what it costs to fight a war in Afghanistan and Iraq. We're talking trillion-dollar wars. This so far, you're talking $120 billion. It may sound like a lot to – you know, in terms of my bank account, but, but that is small in terms of Pentagon budgets and in terms of investment. The, those weapons – we see we don't need a tracker to tell you that those weapons are being used on the front lines. Go to go to Twitter and you will see videos of those weapons being used. Why do you think the Ukrainians are still standing? It's because of the weapons. Jen, so I would it, just love for Jennifer Griffin. I would. Love I don't you know why channeled, they can't say that. <laughs> if you just say that and you use that example, well, they, and I just want to make sure that there's not somebody from another uh, Zelensky opposition party that might be selling it to somebody else. That's the fear. Look, any war, there's a little spillage, okay? There's a little bit of corruption in every war. Going back to World War II, there are people on the black market selling things. But I can tell you that for the most part, you can see with your own eyes that those weapons are being used on the front lines because you see the Russians being slaughtered and killed at a rate that we haven't seen ever in the history of war. All right. Uh, Jen, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate it. Actually, we have a couple more minutes on the back end, right? Yeah, a couple more minutes, then we'll put you on the Acela, we promise. (laughs) Back in a moment, Brian Kilmeade Show. 
giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. Jennifer Griffin's with us. But Jennifer, you know the number one story in the world, probably in the world right now, is the indictment of President Trump. This is what we now know. Uh, He's expected to be arraigned uh, Tuesday at 2.15 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, The same judge is the same judge that was on the Bannon case, was on the grand jury, will be there for him again. His name is Juan Merchant. No handcuffs besides Tacopino will, uh, says they will, uh, we now have a second source that says no handcuffs. Um, this will be handled by the DA's office. Uh, today there will be a meeting at 1 o'clock between law enforcement, Secret Service, the NYPD, the FBI, and New York State Court officers. Uh, the street closures are expected in Center Street and Baxter Street in Manhattan. Everybody was told in the NYPD to be in uniform today, even the plainclothes guys and women. So uh, it's a crazy time, right? It is, but I will just just to lower the temperature a little bit. I drove past Trump Tower on the way here to the studio, and there was nobody out front. There were no cameras, and guess what? When there are no cameras, there are no protesters. There were no protesters, and so I actually think that if you know this is going to have to play out, everyone needs to lower the temperature. Everybody needs to be careful what they say, because including um, the former president, because inciting violence, nobody wins. Right, January sixth was real. Uh, and there was no – it wasn't a peaceful protest. No. Just like uh, the, uh, what happened in Nashville, they they went in there, and that was a mess too, but no one's talking about that. Um, Jen, unbelievable what you did with Benjamin Hall. I know it's not enough time, but that was in the documentary. Amazing, right? I encourage everyone to go to Fox Nation and watch the uncut uh, long version of the documentary. It's um, our, our producers here, Miriam – Sapari and her team put together an extraordinary documentary, not only paying tribute to Pierre, Sasha, Benjamin, Benjamin's family, but also this extraordinary group from Save Our Allies, these former special operators who went in when the U.S. military couldn't step across the line. And then the U.S. military, uh, Defense Secretary right. Austin, sent the 82nd Airborne and got him to land stool, and that's why Benjamin Hall's walking today. you were right in the today. middle of that. You were working points. <laughs> you were landing the plane. Well. Jennifer Griffin, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.